KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast for Friday, November 12th, 2021. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer and video games. Finally, thankfully, are having a moment, or maybe it's more than a moment, but a whole movement. The gaming and esports industry has exploded in the last few years, and Philadelphia's own Nerd Street Gamers has been a big part of that. Hold on a second, Jay. Can you tell the people what's on your shirt today? Because they can't see it. I'm just sitting here in a very nice, crispy Super Mario Brothers t-shirt because I am one of those guys who lived in the living room or in the basement on my Nintendo or the Genesis or the 64 back in the day. I am a, I'm part of that first generation of gamers so I, you know this episode means a lot to me today. The explosion that it's undergone, that that space has undergone in recent years, is incredible, Sabrina. Absolutely. And Nerd Street Gamers are a company here that hosts some gaming sites. They're really involved in trying to bring esports and gaming. I mean, it's already here in Philadelphia, but they say that Philly is going to be the East Coast hub for esports. They're opening a new location called The Block, where they're going to, they have a ton of high quality computers, super fast internet, and anybody can come in and play there in person. And one of the coolest things about The Block is it's in North Philadelphia, where a lot of kids don't have access to the internet, never mind that kind of high tech equipment. So it is bridging that accessibility gap, letting kids get in there. There are, like we said, a lot of career opportunities in e-gaming, esports. They're going to learn about that. They're also going to have a place to just hang out and do their homework with internet access. It's going to be a really great facility. And we will hear more about the block from Nerd Street Gamers coming up on today's episode. But first, let's get to the rundown of today's headlines. And we start this Friday with word that the governor's race in New Jersey, which had been called about a week and a half ago at this point, has finally come to an end as Republican challenger Jack Cittarelli will finally concede that he lost to the incumbent Democrat, Phil Murphy. I do not see the result of this election as a failure. On the contrary, I am proud of what our campaign accomplished, proud of how we helped reinvigorate the Republican Party and mobilize new people who've never been involved before. There was a lot about the year 2020 that I would choose if I had my preference not to relive again. One was a long, drawn-out process of waiting to find out who won or did not win an election. So much like the case with Steve Sweeney and Edward Durr, the swifter we can resolve some of these races, let's do it. Yeah, thank God this is finally concluded. There's sounds like there won't be the issue of trying to find a recount. I know that was something that Chitterelli was talking about saying, let's count every legal vote. Well, now he must feel that every legal vote has been counted and Governor Murphy has won another term. It appears that Governor Murphy will end up winning by three percentage points or something around 65,000 votes. They say it was closer, but 65,000 votes is a sizable margin. That's an NFL stadium's worth of people. So it's not something small per se. But after a week and a half, it looks like the former assemblyman, Jack Chitterelli, is finally just tapped out. That's it. He at least will admit defeat. And it appears that maybe the final loose end got tied tied up in New Jersey. You know, guys, I say that I don't want anything from the 2021 elections to be long and drawn out. But then I realize that once all that is resolved and put to bed, everyone's going to start focusing on 2022. And I'm not sure 
if we're ready. I don't know if I'm ready. I'll say that at least. I have already seen ads for the 2022 Senate race. So it's going to be a year long thing. And you know what? It probably needs to be because this is going to be a pretty big deal seeing how things went this year. I think that is a big red flag that we all need to to focus and actually pay attention to these midterm non-presidential elections. And in 2022, the party now comes across the river into the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and spreads out across the country because we got a governor's race here. We have, of course, the aforementioned Senate seat that Pat Toomey is retiring, and therefore it is now up for grabs. And we're just getting started with this. We haven't even gotten to Christmas, and we're already into 2022 as we look forward to next year's election. But unfortunately, right now, we're still dealing with another major issue, and that's gun violence issues. And it's not just in the city of Philadelphia. A Delaware County nonprofit has teamed up with Swarthmore College students to create an interactive homicide database. Yeah, that's right. The nonprofit Ceasefire PA Education Fund is partnering with Swarthmore College. You know, you think of gun violence as being mainly a city thing. Like, it's happening in Philadelphia. We hear about so many shootings around the city. But it also does exist in the suburbs. And that's what this database is about, collecting the data, also recognizing the victims and hearing some of their stories. Our wonderful reporter, Shara Day Howard, spoke with Adam Garber, the executive director at Ceasefire PA Education Fund, about what this database aims to do. Do two pieces. One, take all the data from the CDC on how gun violence is impacting people in Delaware County. And then two, connect it with news stories of outlets in the community because they're not statistics, they're real people. That's the point that they want to get across is these are real people. We want to know about their stories. We want to know who they are and have a database where we can track who all of them are. And to hear the stories of these people, that these aren't just numbers, that these aren't just stats that are up on a screen like we're talking about baseball statistics or something. Like these are real people who've been either hurt or lost their lives. Listen, we've been following this tragic case of fantability that happened in Delaware County, in Sharon Hill. And I think what that speaks to is while gun violence might be more prevalent within Philadelphia County, it's an issue that can happen anywhere. And I think that any additional information that can help people better understand and how to enforce and hopefully mitigate this problem, that's a good thing. And it's also really encouraging to see that a young portion of the population, I think, is getting behind this movement. um, Because as we've seen, especially again within Philadelphia, uh, this is something that does not discriminate. We know that it can hit any portion of the population. I mean, as a personal story here, like when I first moved to Philadelphia a few years ago, I lived in southwest Philly, right on the border of Delaware County, actually. And one night I'm watching a basketball game on television getting ready to go out. And I hear what I thought maybe could have been fireworks. But I'm thinking, no, this is late April. And where I grew up, I know that very familiar sound. But I'm thinking, is it off in the distance? 30, 45 minutes later, I come out of my apartment to head out. And there's the yellow police tape. And it happened in the parking lot of my apartment complex to the point where the the, the sheet is still on the ground. It is very real out here, and even if you're not directly a victim of it, it lives with you. It sticks with you. It's in your head. So the idea that people are at least able to tell their stories and you kind of keep a database of this, 
it starts to try to make sense of what you're seeing around here. It tries to humanize the victims instead of just treating them as stats. Exactly. And that's something that we try to do here a lot at KYW News Radio. Our reporters, Shara Day Howard, I just mentioned, Kristen Johansson does a lot of stories on gun violence and focusing on the victims. And you can actually hear more about this database in particular on Flashpoint. So tune in to KYW News Radio Saturday night at 930 or listen wherever you get your podcasts. That's right, because Flashpoint's podcast feed will pop up not long after that show airs on Saturday night as well as on Sunday morning. And obviously, this is a very difficult subject matter to talk about. So let's try to lighten the mood at least a little bit on this Friday. We are still in the midst of this pandemic. And now it appears that of all the things you have to worry about, about the spread from one person to the, to the other, the unvaccinated to the vaccinated, now we have to worry about deer. Deer could actually make the spread of COVID worse. So at our house, in our living room, there's Florida ceiling sliding window doors, essentially. And last night after the kids go to sleep, my wife and I are downstairs cleaning up and we have this big 70-pound dog. Dog starts barking. Follow him into this living room. He's right by the floor to ceiling window. And lo and behold, across the yard in the back, we see two deer. And we think, oh, what nice, cute looking deer. There's a mom and her baby. So nice, so nice. Yet another reason to stay away from your deer. (laughs) (laughs) See, and here I am thinking that the only people who could have to have any concern about this are like people who go hunting. I mean, how often do you interact with a deer? But I don't know. I have a lot of questions about how this it can spread from a deer. If you accidentally hit a deer on the road, is it somehow going to give you COVID? I mean, it's not breathing on you. We have to get masks for deer now? <laughs> it's It makes me think of my, my parents who are back in Michigan. They live in this area where there are deer that roam through the yard. It's It's not uncommon that if I talk to my mom on the phone, one of them shows up in her yard and starts eating her plants like a gigantic salad bar, and she gets very frustrated with them, like trying to shoo them out of the yard. Am I to the point where I have to tell my mother, do not go outside to shoo these deer away because you could get exposed to COVID? It's, it makes no sense. It's just like the idea of deer being – it's like a tro- instead of a Trojan horse, it's a Trojan deer. <laughs> I don't think we would ever have movies like how they had Outbreak where they made it seem like apes and monkeys can spread viruses. Now do we have to worry about Bambi being dangerous and – Bambi will spread the virus to people. I want to, it's like we want to take this seriously because this could become a real thing. But it's just weird to think that. I wonder where the where the study came from, the, where the, the thought of, hey, what's spreading COVID around here? Well, we got deer all over the place. Maybe it's that. I, I don't know. So Penn State, Jay, led this study not too far from here in the great Commonwealth. My guess is that even though there could be the possibility that deer could spread the virus to humans, my guess is that it's likely – relatively minimal. The study was inconclusive. It said, while we lack incontrovertible evidence for spillback from deer to humans or other free-living animals, our findings warrant a heightened awareness of the potential risks. I think the bigger thing is just like years from now, what are we ultimately going to find out about COVID and how it behaved and how it was transmitted and all that stuff? Like I, I, I would be willing to sign on a line right now that there's not going to be a lot of cases from deer to humans. But What they were able to find was that the disease is highly transmissible between deer, especially white-tailed deer. So it's just – I think it's just compelling and fascinating stuff just the more we learn about how COVID behaves. I don't know. I think this is going to be like that time where they said that cats could get COVID for a little while, which may be true. 
it just sort of it sort of disappeared. But there was a brief period of time early on when I was worrying about my two cats and thinking I really need to stay home to protect my two cats. <laughs> like people say they need to stay home to protect their kids. You know what else is crazy? Something that's a nugget from this article. There's an estimated 25 million white-tailed deer in the U.S. And I would never believe this. It's the most popular type of hunting in the United States, and it generates $20 billion to the U.S. GDP hunting deer. This was 2016, but that, that's still insane to me. That is kind of – it's kind of stunning. And when it comes to this subject matter, apparently the buck will now stop here. By the way, we want to remind you as well, you can find all these headlines, yes, including the one about deer, on our website, kywnewsradio.com. You're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and playing video games is no longer just a way to pass through a Friday evening. I mean, I've been a video gamer going back to when I was a little kid. The thing is now, it's not just all fun and games. It can be a career path and a way to help keep kids safe here in cities like Philadelphia. And Nerd Street Gamers is bringing the gaming boom really to the heart of our city with their new gaming hub called The Block. And we're joined today by the Vice President of Media for Nerd Street Gamers, Todd Berman. Todd, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jay. Really excited. So here's how Nerd Street CEO John Fazio describes The Block. This is a major facility for the industry that's going to bring in competitors from all over the world. It's going to bring in international events that will happen here, provide an entertainment forum for people in the city who want to be a part of that. Now, it is more than just entertainment, as it's also a hub for kids who might not have access to technology. Todd, what are some of the things that the block hopes to do for the Philadelphia community? Well, I think it is important that you said the Philadelphia community, because in many ways, that's exactly how we perceive ourselves. Um, the company was started in the Philadelphia area. Uh, there are a lot of investors who are in the Philadelphia area, and we believe it is very important to give back. Um, technology is a huge part of that, but so are skill sets and job creation. Um, put it in perspective, our global headquarters will be in Philadelphia, and we're expanding from there. Um, that's in addition to the retail facility, uh, which you all just got a tour of recently, where we have over 150 gaming PCs. Um, as you said, there's a large divide in access to technology, especially high-speed broadband within the Philadelphia community, and we hope that we can provide a bridge for that. Uh, in addition, there's also job creation and internship and education opportunities. Um, gaming is a huge business within the United States. It's poised to be $3 billion by the end of 2025, and close to 230 million people on average are playing video games in the country. And with that, there is a whole new industry that, that has started, but will continue to evolve and increase at an exponential rate. Every university within the Philadelphia area has in one form or another, esports or gaming as an opportunity to for career advancement and education. And we're going to be able to provide internships with everything from esports broadcasting to marketing to tournament operations and all of the facility support that comes along with that. Now, we'll get to esports in just a second because that is a very important part of this whole thing. When KYW's Justin Nudo spoke with Nerd Street's chief of staff, Pete Powell, 
Pete also said he really wants Philadelphia to be the center of esports here on the East Coast. Let's hear from him for right now. This is um, really step one for Philadelphia to become what we believe will be the esports epicenter of, at the very least, the East Coast. It's a huge sports city. We all know that. We really believe that it can be a huge esports city as well, and and we feel like the block is 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 a big step in making that a reality. What do you think makes Philadelphia a good environment for something like esports? Philadelphia is an East Coast hub. There's no question about it. We are between New York and D.C., right at the center of that northeastern corridor. Um, We also have one of the most condensed populations of universities and students within that geographic spectrum. And as a result of that, that's where we are going to be able to give that access and provide that access. We've seen massive growth in this industry especially over the last five, six years. And it's between gaming, the esports. We've seen the esports arenas starting to pop up around the country. There's a there's such a great audience for gaming videos in places such as YouTube and Twitch has become such a massive social media platform in and of itself. With all this industry growth, what are some of those career opportunities in gaming? Because people just see it as a bunch of kids playing video games. There's way more to it than that. How are kids being taught about that aspect as well? Yeah, I, I, th- I think the appropriate way of thinking about that that question is to look at professional sports as a blueprint. And I think you need to consider esports um, very indicative of professional sports. There are people that are making absolute careers from being players, competitive players. And as a result of that, the entire infrastructure that they build upon is the same as professional sports. Broadcasting, that is a huge element. You mentioned Twitch a while ago. Yes, there are people doing individual uh, Twitch streams, but in addition, there are large-scale broadcasts. We can throw a tournament on a weekend, and literally 200,000 people can be watching our stream. With that comes the same type of support as you would put behind a professional sporting event. Um, Madison Square Garden, they're selling out in 30 seconds for for Overwatch League championships. So there is a demand that's there. And I think it's probably best looked upon as as in the same way where people enjoy watching traditional sports, people are enjoying watching esports. And as a result of that, you're becoming emotionally connected to the professional players that are behind it. You have an interest in it. And at the same time, you want to be able to compete on yourself. Uh, What we hope to do is create that bridge for people to be able to competitively play. We hear a lot about the esports aspect of it. Also, John Fazio talked about how the block is for kids who may not have access to this type of technology. What we saw during the pandemic was that a chunk of our students didn't even have high-speed internet at home to participate in remote learning, let alone play video games. This is the computer you're going to spend your career on. This is a gateway to opportunity beyond gaming. But this is about access to technology. So many of these homes are are without internet access, and this can add another layer to what kids are able to do instead of just the idea of just playing video games. There's so much more to it. Yeah, I, I think the number one point there is access. And what we hope to do is be able to allow that access, especially for those who don't have that access anywhere else. I think a good example of that, if you look at, is our relationship with the Philadelphia Parks and Rec. We have created a partnership with them so that students are able to go in and they have access to this type of equipment, access to this type of broadband. And as we all know, if if you build that bridge with access, people will learn, they will better themselves, and they won't be pushed down because they 
they don't have that same equalizing ability as, as others who are in a more fortunate position. Now, Todd, you compared esports to professional sports. Well, Pete Powell, he compared the block to Little League in terms of access to such things as equipment. We believe that, you know, esports to this point has sort of been a competition of only the, you know, the privileged can enjoy because of the expense of the PCs, because of the accessibility, where am I going to go to play? You know, what this really provides is sort of the, the Little League fields or the, you know, the ice hockey rink for people to go and actually compete. Now, cost is probably another factor in terms of accessibility to certain things, Absolutely. clearly. And at the block, the first hour of gaming is free. But what is it like after that first hour? Plans start as little, I believe, is $5. Okay. Um, so it is it is definitely an extremely low price point for entry there. Um, in addition to that, though, I think what's, what's really important is we are providing opportunities at different times to just allow everybody free access. The world's taken a big turn from the days when I was a teenager and my mom fussing at me to get off, get off of the Nintendo or the Super Nintendo to go actually get outside and play and be a part of the world and everything. But things have obviously changed between a pandemic, which has just kind of shut everything down here the last almost two years now. And unfortunately, the scourge of gun violence in cities such as Philadelphia, it's just safer for kids to stay inside with video games being the best way to socially interact because kids can chat online. They have the, the different ways to have full conversations. How do you think games are helping kids become more functional considering the time that we're living in right now? I will say that one of the things that was uh, that was such a pleasant surprise for me when I started getting into esports was noticing two different things. One is um, there is a level of acceptance in communities that that is amazing. I mean, we all know, and I'm not saying any environment is perfect, but we all know specifically in schools and in person, a lot of times there can be bullying. There can be, you know, things that push down social interaction. And what I've seen in a lot of the gaming communities is an ability of social acceptance. And I think that is is an amazing thing. Um, I think the other factor that it really comes into play is the ability to create social circles when you are talking with people online. You are coming in, you are having a, a shared experience, and that shared experience, to your point, is not only done in a safe place to start a lot of times, but then it moves to shared experiences elsewhere, like in our local host gaming facility. I think those are probably the two areas where where it starts off online. It starts off by making connection and then it moves to in real life, actual connections. Now the block, it's not just for kids. Anyone can show up, which might mean at some point I'll be paying a visit to this place. Anybody can show up. What are the benefits for adults coming in to play games and rather than just being at home and being able to interact with people? Yeah, I think first and foremost, let's get back to our accessibility for technology and how the conversation started. Um, I mean, we have top of the line equipment in terms of peripherals, in terms of 3080 PCs, and that is something that certainly not everybody has. And um, it's a very different experience to game on those machines when you can use top of the line equipment the pros are using. I'd even go a little bit further and say, if you come with a friend and you wanna truly compete, It is an equalizing playing field by being able to provide the same equipment to both of you, the same internet connection, and that really is just a whole different experience. There's this misconception 
about gamers that they think a lot of people who don't play video games have this image of gamers being lazy or antisocial. They sit in their parents' basements. All the silliness that tends to surround the mental picture of what a gamer is. What's the good side of gaming? What can people of all ages gain from playing video games? I think absolutely what you're going to gain first and foremost is, is a social experience. And I think that comes before anything that you may achieve in terms of competitive play. But then the other is competitive play. I mean, there is a reality that that when you play sports, you enjoy competition. And all of that goes hand in hand in a very safe and compelling environment. Really quickly, how can people get more information on the block and learn more about this facility? Please just visit our website, nerdstreet.com. As you go there, you're going to find a lot of compelling content. You're going to find events that are happening at our local host facilities, and you're going to find tournaments that you can compete in both in person and online. Our large opening to the public is this Saturday, uh, November 13th, where we're going to have a series of tournaments um, that's going to be headlined by Fragadelphia, which is uh, a very well-known and long-standing CSGO tournament that started in the Philadelphia community. Um, It just seemed like the perfect way to start out, born in Philadelphia, created in Philadelphia, and that's how we want to open the block. It's the future of gaming. Right here in the city of Philadelphia, that's Todd Berman, the vice president of media for Nerd Street Gamers. Todd Berman, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of The Rundown. Thank you very much. And The Rundown is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm J. Scott Smith. You can follow me at J. Scott Smith. It's real J. Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. And you can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio, 103.9 FM and 1060 AM at 3 p.m. for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. You can be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. Again, The Rundown PHL. PHL, all one word. You can hear us for free right here on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. We want to thank you for joining us for this Friday edition of The Rundown.